Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching and his word, but regard it as holy and gladly hear and learn it. Let us begin our Reformation sermon with prayer. Almighty Lord, you are our mighty fortress, especially when men war against your temple, the invisible church of all believers. Help us to learn from today's sermon and apply it to the hostile world around us so that others may be brought from being servants of the darkness into your wonderful light of full and free salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to St. Matthew as recorded in chapter 16, verse 23. Look. I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against people. They will hand you over to councils and they will whip you in their synagogues. You will be brought into the presence of governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Whenever they hand you over, do not be worried about how you will respond or what you will say, because what you say will be given to you in that hour. In fact, you will not be the one speaking, but the spirit of your father will be speaking through you. Brother will hand over his brother to death, and a father will do the same with his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all people because of my name, but whoever endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Amen, I tell you. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is getting ready to send his disciples out on a missionary journey. And he knows, because he's God, how everything's going to turn out. Eventually, the Sanhedrin will plot his murder. Of course, he'll rise from the grave. And then they'll come after the disciples when Jesus ascends to heaven. And so the Christians will be persecuted by the Jews whose religion was supposed to be the Christian religion. Eventually, the Roman government will start persecuting Christians as well. And so it is that Jesus says these words and lets them know as he's sending them out that they need to be as wise as snakes, but as innocent as doves as they go out into this world because their own families will often turn against them. Now, we have brothers and sisters in Christ from all around the world, from countries I don't want to name right now because I don't want them getting in trouble with their government. Imagine that, having a government that hears that you worship Jesus Christ because he's true God who took on human flesh for you, who died to wash your sins away and rules over all creation for you. Imagine having a government that somehow thinks that's such an awful thing that they've got to hunt you down and persecute you. There are people in countries that their country has a religion that persecutes Christians. And they certainly know what it's like to have a father or a mother turn against them or a son or a daughter turn against them because they believe God has done all the work of salvation for them. And if you're one of those brothers and sisters in Christ listening to the sermon, we certainly keep you in our prayers. Now, for those situations, our first lesson, which was recorded in Daniel chapter 6, is a wonderful example of being as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. 
Darius sets out the decree set by satraps who wanted to entrap Daniel. That the only person you could pray to was him. Now, Daniel knew Darius was no God. Daniel was only going to worship the true God. Did he take up arms and march out into the city saying, let's overthrow Darius? No, he didn't rebel against the authority over him. As shrewd as a snake, he continued doing what he always did. He worshiped the Lord in private in his own room. As innocent as a dove, he continued worshiping only the true God and the trap was set. Well, God, in that case, took care of Daniel. Or imagine if you lived in a time when the world was supposed to be Christianized, but the Christian church had control of your government. Martin Luther did not fully understand that we are saved 100% by grace yet, but he knew when those indulgences were being sold, he knew that was against Scripture. As innocent as a dove, he didn't realize that the corruption went all the way up to the top. As shrewd as a snake, though, he posted 95 theses. I want to debate these points, and here is my evidence that selling indulgences is wrong. Within a couple of months, he would be sent running into the scripture, and he would come out knowing and confident that we are saved by grace. Well, you and I don't live in either one of those worlds here in America. We have freedom of religion, and we thank the Lord for that. But you know, in my lifetime, I've been amazed at how that freedom of religion has changed. We call it political correctness. Due to political correctness, you can get in an airplane on Friday and visit a friend somewhere in the United States, way away from Wyoming. And that friend can be struggling with a sin that's eating them up. And you can call them out on their sin and you can show them your Savior. Get on that plane, come home, clock in to work on Monday morning to find out you're fired. Because of something you said in private to that friend. Wow. And so just as Jesus sent out his disciples, just as he says, literally, our text, if you'll allow me to translate my own, use my own translation of the Greek, in chapter 10, verse 16, he says, pay very close attention. I myself am sending you out as sheep in the middle of wolves. Therefore, be as sharp-witted as snakes and as pure as doves. And so today, I will ask you the question, how can we be as sharp-witted as snakes and as pure as doves here in America today? And to answer that question, first we have to look at what makes snakes so sharp-witted. When the devil wanted to destroy God's creation, he knew if he took on the human form, Adam and Eve would say, wait a minute, we're the only two God created. No, something's wrong. So he has to take on something else in creation. He picks an animal that seems to be clever, Way cleverer than other animals. Probably even picked an animal that seemed to be able to talk. But Jesus is not talking about us being deceitful the way the devil was, but he's using that comparison. Snakes have always in human history have that caricature of being clever. What makes a snake sharp-witted? We often don't realize it today in America where we live with pesticides and stuff like that, but a snake will crawl along like the foundation of your house. It's 
It's wanting to get inside, and it'll find a crack, and maybe it has to turn its head a little bit and contort its it a little bit, and then once it finds that hole that it can get its head through, the whole body comes on in. It's one of the things that makes them clever. Well, this is how you are to be as a Christian in today's world, even with political correctness, or if you are in a country, which may happen soon in America, where you're persecuted for being a Christian. See, you believe that Jesus is your Savior. The Holy Spirit's in your heart. If you didn't have that, you just have your sinful nature. But you have a new man in you now, a new woman. And that person always is radiating with God's love. It just shines out to the world around us. And so whether you are an aunt, an uncle, a husband, a father, a brother, a sister, whatever your career is, wherever you're at, you are showing God's love. You show God's love to your neighbor, your relatives, your friends. You constantly show God's love. And like that snake, you're waiting, waiting for that hole. Uh-oh, I've contracted the COVID virus. What do I do? Let me say a prayer with you. Let me tell you about God who died and rose for you. He has you in his hands. He's ascended to heaven. He's ruling over creation for you. Uh-oh, I have cancer. What do I do? Let me tell you about Jesus, your Savior. Uh-oh, I've lost my job. You get the point. Being clever like snakes, we are always showing God's love, looking for that opportunity when we can come forward and strike with the law and strike with the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about striking. Of course, we have venomous snakes here in Wyoming. The famous one is the rattlesnake. I did not know it, but at one point in time, I lived in shall we say a migratory route? That's not the best scientific explanation. Lived in a neighborhood that was actually a migratory route for rattlesnakes. Every couple of years you'd hear of somebody killing one in their backyard. I never saw one. Most people in that neighborhood never saw them. See, rattlesnakes don't go out of their way for trouble, do they? They usually know how to avoid it. But you take a bull or something that's stepping on the, near the rattlesnake, it can strike an animal that's a, that weighs thousands of times its own weight and take it down. Even then, it coils up oftentimes and gives a warning. It knows when to strike and when to slink away. In English, we say we know when to pick our battles, right? And as a perfect example... There was a time in which I was working at a machine shop while I was going to the pre-seminary, and there was a man who hated Christianity. One day, it was obvious, he come down in a bad mood, and he was going to pick a fight with me simply because he knew I was studying to be a pastor. And the blasphemous curse words he used to talk about our Savior, I will not repeat. But he turned to me and said he didn't need no blankety-blank and Savior for his sins. He wanted a fight. I looked at him. I was at work. I had, an, I had work I had to get done. I turned and looked at him, and I thought to myself, with an attitude like that, I feel sorry for you. You're going to go to hell. And I said, with that attitude, you don't need a Savior. And I walked off. He was not ready for that. Later, when he had a heart attack, I tried to talk to him about his Savior. He didn't want to hear that either. Sometimes being as shrewd as a snake is being ready to show God's love, but knowing this is not the battle to fight. This is not the hill to die on. And there are other times being as shrewd as a snake is saying, now, now's the time to strike. 
I had a guy I worked with. He used to come up to me and say, Fred, let's argue about this. And he'd give me an argument and I'd answer it. But then there was a time when things went bad. Struck hard. Let me tell you about your Savior. The one you didn't know about. The one you were fighting against. So being as sharp-witted as a snake is looking, showing God's love and looking for those holes. But also knowing when to slither away and when to strike. Strike with the law. Strike with the gospel. Now... A snake is a pretty good steward of his own life. For you and I to be stewards of what God has entrusted us, to be as sharp-witted as snakes the way God wants us to be, we have to be in the Word. Jesus tells us in our lesson that when we're hauled before courts, don't worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit's going to take care of that. There are a lot of Christians who misunderstand that and they think they can stay away from the Word of God, make up what they think the Word of God says, they don't realize that's what they're doing, and then think God's going to give them a miraculous thing to say. When you're in the Word, you are storing ammunition in your mind that the Holy Spirit's going to use so that you're able to testify. There have been times I've walked away and say, oh, why didn't I say this Bible passage? It's always, it's one of my go-tos. The Holy Spirit had a different plan. There are other times I go, why did I remember that Bible story, that Bible passage? The Holy Spirit had a plan. So we want to be good stewards, being in God's word and managing things according to God's word. Let me give you a couple examples and we'll move on past being snakes. If a congregation wants to save money, so they decide in the middle of a Wyoming winter to set their furnace at 33 degrees, just enough to keep the pipes from freezing, and they get a visit from somebody who's church shopping. Now, they're church shopping. They don't know that they're looking for a church that holds to God's word and its truth and purity. They don't know God's word well enough, usually, to know what it says in its truth and purity. So if they come into a church that maybe holds the word of God and its truth and purity, but they're freezing... They're going to say, I'm going to go try the church next door. Sometimes being as sharp-witted as snakes means being good stewards with the resources God has given us, but also in love, thinking about the person who's weaker than us in our faith. Let me give you another example. Our culture has changed a lot since I was born. When I was a child, every year at the beginning of the school year, my parents went up to Casper. Usually it was at J.C. Penney. Sometimes it was at Sears. They bought a suit that was usually a little big on me. My parents said, you wear your Sunday best when you worship the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I remember after I was confirmed, suddenly we started seeing people in church they were dressing a lot more casual. I remember the first Sunday in which somebody was wearing a t-shirt, bright yellow letters, still remember it said is your fly button. It distracted me, it just kept blinking out. If somebody's new to Christianity, they don't know to wear their Sunday best, do they? Well, let me tell you, one of my professors when I was going to the pre-seminary told us that at that time when people started to dress way less formal in American culture, that one of the men in his church who had been a convert to Christianity every Sunday wore jeans with holes in the knees. Bothered a lot of the members. Now, Scripture never says you have to wear your Sunday best. When Scripture was written, people wrote, wore tunics and stuff. I'm not saying it's wrong either. But that man, he said, I will be the worst dressed person in church so that when we have visitors, and they often did have visitors, the visitor doesn't come in and feel like there's a spotlight on them because they're the least formally dressed. That man was as sharp-witted as a snake and as pure and innocent as a dove. It shocks me. Our culture has changed. 
We are way more set back, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I said, Scripture doesn't say you have to wear a suit and tie or dress to church. Or another example, when I was a child, you came into church, you sat in the pew, and you buttoned your lip, and you meditated on the Word of God. I have found in recent years when people come to church, if everybody's sitting there being quiet, meditating on the Word of God before the start of the worship, if they're a visitor, they're going to look around and say, why is everybody ignoring me? About six months after confirming her, I had a girl who really showed wisdom. She brought a friend to church who was not going to be able, because of the doctrine of close and close communion, to take communion with us. She set aside her selfishness. She didn't come up. She knew she could call me if she needed private communion. She knew that, she, in a, that two Sundays later she'd be able to take communion. She stayed in the pew with her friend and her friend did not feel alone when the other four or five pews around them got up for communion. I told that story, and many years later, I've told it to many adults, many years later I saw we had a visitor in church who was new to Christianity, and they sat in the pew with one of my members who was as sharp-witted as a snake. They barely knew that person, just introduced themselves before the worship service. But so that person wouldn't feel left out during communion, that person stayed in the pew and whispered a few things to the person during communion. I couldn't hear what they were and I didn't care. I knew that person was being as sharp-witted as a snake and as innocent as a dove. Now Martin Luther was as sharp-witted as a snake and he was as innocent as a dove. And eventually when he was hauled to the diet of worms, he was ready and he said those wonderful words, unless I can be convinced by scripture. Being as innocent as a dove means being in the word and not contradicting the word. That's why we know Jesus here isn't telling us, be like that devil who did this to lie. We're out in the open with our motives. We're honest and we're pure. But in order to know what it means to be as pure as a dove, we're thinking of a snow white dove with no blemish or spot on it. We have to know where our purity comes from. As I said, you and I have a sinful nature. We... Think about sins by the second, literally, without even realizing it. We're damned to hell. Our purity does not come from ourselves. God did not want you to go to hell at all. And so he took on human flesh, and for roughly 33 years of his life on this earth, he subjected himself to every temptation, but never fell into temptation. Felt the pains of temptation, but not in a sinful way. So he could credit you with his perfect obedience. The problem is you still have sin. He had to remove that. So he went to the cross. He spilled his blood, the blood of the God-man, which would wash your sins away. Christ on the cross reminds you of the payment for your sins. Christ off the cross, the empty cross, reminds you that your sins are paid in full. That is finished. There's nothing you have to add to that. The empty tomb is God the Father's receipt for you that your sins are paid in full. So to know what purity is, we have to know our holiness is Jesus Christ. It becomes ours when he sends somebody to share the word of God with us. Maybe you're that somebody he sent to share with other people. And the Holy Spirit enters the heart so that we believe it. And we now have that new man. Now... When it comes to sharing the word of God with others, imagine if the people around you felt like 
You were as shrewd as a snake looking for that hole, but you mostly, you wanted people to come to church so you could have the proverbial notch on your gun belt. Look at how many people sit in my pew that I brought to church with me. Oh, I am such a good evangelist. We all know Christians who've kind of been that way. And you get to a point, those people, you kind of start giving them space at work and stuff, don't you? They're not looking for the glory of God's kingdom. They're looking for their own glory. And we see that with cults that are based on Christianity. Starting with Gnosticism around 150 AD, there's always been cults that take the Bible, take Jesus Christ. But you know what? Just like the church that Luther was trying to reform, they add something to it. They add something you have to do to the work of Christ instead of Christ has done all the work. The big cult we deal with in Wyoming, we're kind of the front porch to that cult. I have even had relatives who have bought into that cult's lies. Because when they're like that snake looking for an opportunity to show love, but it is a Christless love. The car breaks down. Oh, we have a member who owns an auto parts store and he'll let you charge that alternator you need and you can make payments on it. And we have another member who will put that alternator in your car and people say, how loving this is. This must be the Christian church and they advertise that they're Christian. When people begin to hear and put the message together, oh, they're saying grace plus plus something you do, plus you giving the right offerings, plus you passing it on, plus you. They start to question that, guess what? You better pay up for that alternator now. See, they cannot be as innocent as doves because they think they're righteous by themselves. They don't have Christ's purity. You do not tell your neighbor, your friends, your relatives about Jesus Christ so that you can stuff the church's offering plates, so that you can boast about how good of an evangelist you are or because you have to or else you won't be saved. You do it because you are saved and you want that person to be in heaven. You want them to know forgiveness. So we've seen what it means to be as sharp-witted as a snake and as pure as a dove. Let's combine the two. And for an example of both, we need look no further than the Apostle Paul. Paul gets to Philippi with his traveling companion Silas. There's a slave girl who's possessed by a demon and her owners make money having this de- people charged to tell the future. I don't think demons can tell the future, but they've been observing human behavior so they can make some pretty good educated guesses. Well, she's given an obnoxious witness and, and Paul turns and exercises that demon. The owners get him, have him thrown in jail. They're beat. Now we have to remember that in those days, prisons tended to be more like debtors' prisons and they were holes. They didn't have windows and stuff like that. Paul just had to say, I'm a Roman citizen. They couldn't flog him. They had to give him a trial, a fair trial. Paul didn't say, I'm a Roman citizen. As sharp-witted as a snake and as innocent as a dove, he saw an opportunity to get put in the dungeon so that he, and would otherwise not have visiting privileges, could share with those inmates the good news of salvation in Christ. And God blessed Paul's efforts. Not only were the inmates converted that night, the jailer and his family were. In the days of the early Christian church when the Roman government was persecuting Christians, men like Justin Martyr were hauled to Circus Maximus. This is one of the largest 
auditoriums human beings have ever made. Thousands of Romans would pile in to watch an 80-year-old man be devoured by a lion. They told Justin Martyr, deny your false gods. Justin Martyr, recognizing there's only one true God, said, I deny all false gods. Because I only believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he used it as an opportunity. He knew he was going to die to testify to thousands of Roman nobles. Oh, they had their fun with Christians at Circus Maximus. But do you know what? Christianity was known as the religion of the slaves. But those nobles started looking at those Christians and saying, these Christians face gladiators and lions and vicious animals, and they do it with peace. There's something noble about how they die. There must be something about their God. They were as sharp-witted as snakes and as innocent as doves. We live in a world with political correctness in America today, and because of it, I wouldn't be surprised if, when I'm older, we lose the freedom of religion. But whether it's now or whether we're being persecuted later, God's Word gives us the ability to be as sharp-witted as snakes and as pure as doves. Let me close this with a quote from Martin Luther. When he was hauled to the Diet of Worms, they had all of his writings, the catechisms the, on the Babylonian captivity, all of his different writings. They said, do you deny all of these? They wanted a yes or no. Luther says, like his catechism, if I deny those, I would be denying things even you guys agree with. No, do you deny them, yes or no? This, needs, this takes time. Give me some time to think about it. And he admitted some of the guys who'd written against him, they were snotty, and he bit back. Was sharp-witted as a snake, he bit back. But the next day, same thing. They weren't going to give him a chance to talk. Do you deny all of your readings or not? Luther says, Since then your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer without horns and without teeth, unless I'm convicted by scripture and plain reason. There it is. Purity, the word of God, pure as a dove. I do not accept the authorities and popes as councils, for they contradict each other. There it is, sharp-witted as a snake. Why would I listen to your councils and popes when they're constantly introducing new doctrines or reintroducing old doctrines and they're constantly contradicting each other? My conscience is captive to the word of God. There it is, pure as a dove. I've got to stick to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Now may the hope of God fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you may overflow with the hope and power uh, by the Holy Spirit. Amen. As God's witnesses, let us confess the message he has entrusted to us. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. All this he did that I should be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from death and lives and rules eternally. This is most certainly true. 
I believe that I cannot by my own thinking or choosing believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and fully forgives all sins to me and all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. I invite you to lift up your hearts to God and pray as Christ our Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children so that we may pray to him as boldly and confidently as dear children ask their dear father. Hallowed be your name. God's name is certainly holy by itself, but we pray in this petition that we too may keep it holy. Your kingdom come. God's kingdom certainly comes by itself even without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may also come to us. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. God's good and gracious will certainly is done without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may also be done among us also. Give us today our daily bread. God surely gives daily bread without our asking, even to all the wicked. But we pray in this petition that he would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. In accordance with your providing our daily bread, we ask you, O Lord, as the COVID virus is exploding in Wyoming, we pray that you protect our group. We pray that you keep us safe, that we can gather together around your word and the assurance and that we can encourage each other without infecting each other or worrying about the infection that can come from that. Lord, we especially ask that you guide Americans as we have an opportunity to elect our rulers, that you guide them to be wise and gracious and to vote according to your good and gracious will. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look upon our sins or because of them deny our prayers, for we are worthy of none of the things for which we ask. Neither have we deserved them, but we ask that he would give them all to us by grace, for we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will forgive from the heart and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. God surely tempts no one to sin, but we pray in this petition that God would guard us and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our flesh may not deceive us or lead us into false belief, despair, and other great and shameful sins. And though we are tempted by them, we pray that we may overcome and win the victory. But deliver us from evil. In conclusion, we pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would deliver us from every evil that threatens body and soul, property and reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, grant us a blessed end and graciously take us from this world of sorrow to himself in heaven. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. We can be sure that these petitions are acceptable to our Father in heaven and are heard by him, for he himself has commanded us to pray in this way and has promised to hear us. 
Therefore we say, Amen, yes it shall be so. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.